Good. How's everyone feeling this morning? Good? All right. Anyone tired? All right. You know I'm going to wake you up. You know I'm going to wake you up. So, Jersey, you better not fall asleep or I'll call you out, cowboy. Okay? You should have done it last time. All right. Let's pray. And we're going to jump into the Word. Let's jump in. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. And God, it's a privilege to be here. It's an honor to be here. And Lord, I ask you that as we are here this morning, that first and foremost, that you would be with us. God, I ask that the words that I speak, the meditations of my heart, what will be running through my mind would only be to, to clarify who you are more and more. Jesus, that's my passion. That's what I live to do. God, we ask you this morning that as we sang those different songs, that, that it would stir our hearts and our minds to be drawn closer to you. We ask that, Lord. God, we ask you this morning that you would be with the Arnoldis again, that you would just put your spirit upon them, that you would just comfort them um, as they've gone through loss, but you would comfort them as they are a comfort to others. God, we pray for April that you would just be with her, that your presence would be with her, that she would know that you are with her right now. God, she's hurting. And Lord, you say that when those who are hurting, that you are there, that you are present. And Jesus... I ask you for Christy Nichols right now. I ask you that you would just be with her as uh, she's just had some house problems this morning. And God, just as she texted Sue, just wanting to be here, but yet just having to deal with the house situation. We ask that, that your presence would be more than, than known to her. God, we ask you again that you would allow this coming Tuesday's meeting to just be a new catalyst for what you have for our church. We're so excited about the future. We're excited about where we're going. We're excited about what you have in store. And it's in these times that, that there's crossroads. That there's crossroads that every family comes to about moving forward. And we ask you that in this meeting, that you would allow us to truly see what you have called us to be and become. We love you. And Jesus, again, I ask that you would be with us now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you a little, little warning this morning. It's funny, whenever I come to church, I have different feelings. I have either feelings of deep emotion, I have uh, feelings of deep excitement. But this morning, I feel like I have deep vision, deep clarity of where I want to take you guys. Because over the, last, over the last five weeks, we've been talking about gospel fluency. Gospel fluency is the ability to understand the gospel. Do we truly know what the gospel of Jesus is? It is the gospel fluency is then the ability to apply the gospel to our lives. Like when we read the teachings of Jesus, do they, are they just kind of some kind of like good philosophy, some good religious teachings and understandings, or, or are we able to take his teachings and put them into our lives that we can turn around and see the hand of God upon us each step of the way? But then gospel fluency is how the gospel's lived out. Not just how we know it, not just how we understand it, but is it part of our everyday is it something that, like, even like when I bring up God in the bar, do we have these dichotomies that we have this one life over here and another life over here? Do we act differently with certain friends? Do we act really holier than thou with our, with our church plant family? Or do we act the very same way than when with our neighbors and with our family members? And I realize that as I'm talking more about this, that there's really that sticking point that people get to and be like, ooh, They've even said to me, I've had many people say, man, you've been really on this, this, this fall. And I'm like, so what was the rest of the six years? Did I do bad? <laughs> like, no, you're on. Okay, I'll do better. Thanks. 
But it's one of those things because I'm touching nerves in you. And it's not just because I'm touching nerves in you, I'm touching nerves in my own soul. Because I really truly believe that, that the biggest problem with faith is how do we make faith real in our everyday life? How do we allow our faith to be the same faith on a Sunday morning that when we walk into our businesses? How do we make our, our faith real and tangible when we are owning our own business and, and trying to make a living? How do we make our faith real when we're dealing with teenagers? <laughs> How? How do we do that? How do we make our faith real when we're looking at our finances? How do we make our faith real when we're dealing with that neighbor that just put up their fence on our side of the property? Right? These are all real things. How do we make our faith real when we just want to give up and run away? And so this morning, I want to talk about the enemy of the gospel. What are you going to talk about? Satan? Right? Everyone's like, Satan? The evil one? No. That's definitely part of it. But there's something more. Now let me ask you a question. I want to talk about opposites first. When I say the word black, what do you say? When I say up, what do you say? When I say in, what do you say? When I say hot, what do you say? Okay? When I say faith, what do you say? Fear. Bingo. Fear. How many of you have ever thought about that? That the opposite of faith is fear. Then when you're so excited to do something, when you have this moment, I, I, I think about Patrick Stanley. Sorry, I just looked right at you. Patrick Stanley started a business four years ago, three years ago. Three? Three years ago? Okay, complete game. If anyone needs the pitching lessons for their sons, go to Patrick. What? Good plug. But when he started it, he had this dream and this vision of starting a company. And the thing that drove him was he knew he had gifts and talents. And he knew he had the ability of, of giving a product to a young man that could change the way that he looks at baseball. Matter of fact, Patrick Stanley was a really good athlete. He played minor league baseballs and went up pretty high in the rankings. But think about this. When he first thought about starting his company... It was filled with faith. But the day that he signed his LLC, or the day before he was going to sign his lease on his rent, what do you think jumped into Patrick? To shut everything down. Fear. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a character study of someone from the Old Testament where fear ruined their lives. And oftentimes, you know me, I'm Mr. Positive. Like, I'm overly positive. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm eternally optimistic. And, and I kind of drive Omar crazy with stuff like that. He's always like, man, you always have such good intentions. Like, that's just the way I think. I really think that everything that God has in us, it will come true. I think about a, a wedding I'm going to be doing this Saturday, and they're here with us, but I'm not going to embarrass them, of Alex and Christina. And I really believe, but I'm not going to point them out. I'm not going to say they're sitting somewhere in this middle section. But I think about their marriage that will begin on Saturday. And all I think about, such great things that are going to come. That they're going to have a happy, healthy life together. That they're going to have children. That they're going to be successful. And that, that's the way that I view them. But fear has the ability to take us all off track. 
Correct? Fear has the ability to stop everything. And I truly believe that when I look at Scripture, that faith is the one thing that drives us to know God's eternal promise for us. And fear is that one thing that derail us. Listen to this quote before I jump into Scripture. Fear is the opposite of freedom. Okay? Fear has the power to cause an individual to live a life of regrets. Think about that. How many times have you regretted something in your life? And why do you regret them? Think about a relationship. Do you regret a relationship because of what you did not say in fear of the other person's response? Think about that that opportunity, that business opportunity. Do you regret that? Why? Because you were afraid of what would happen if you stepped out in complete faith. And unfortunately in our world, believe it or not, in this area, Bergen County, in upper middle class America, there's so many people that could do so much more. But they are afraid of taking that big step. We have more gifts, more talents, more education, more intelligence, more funds, more resources than anywhere else in the whole world. And yet still, there is such a majority of people that are missing God's fullness in their life. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Someone, when you get a seat Bible, let me know the number of the page. 1 Samuel chapter 9, or I'll let you know it. How about that? 1 Samuel chapter 9. It is found on page 167. Thank you very much. And we are going to start reading from verse 15 through 17. Now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people, Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines. For I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. When Samuel saw saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. And he will rule my people. Now this is not Saul that turns into Paul. This is the future King Saul. Here's the background. The people of Israel were handpicked by God. Matter of fact, God gave them the name, the people of Israel. They were His people, His chosen people to reflect the goodness of who God is. And all of a sudden, the people of Israel were always following God everywhere Yahweh went. They followed Him through Abraham, through Moses. And and even when they were in a place of captivity, God always provided for them. But there came a place in the history of Israel where, where they were situated We'll call it somewhat comfortable, if that's fair. And all of a sudden, as, as they got situated, as they felt like they had some stability, they started looking around at other nations, other cities, other counties. They started looking at their neighbors, and all of a sudden they said, there's something different about us. There's something about us that, 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 that we want to be like them. You see, all the other villages, all the other lands, all the other countries, they had kings. And kings were a symbol of power. 
So whenever you went to fight someone, you came against the king. And the Israelites, like all of us, were thinking, there's something wrong with us. Even though God provides for us, even though God is always with us, even though God always shows up and gives us more than all these other other countries, we're not like them. But you see, the problem was God never intended them to be like everyone else. You ever feel that way with your parents? Like when you're a kid, you're teenagers, you're just like, yeah, I just want to be like everyone else. You know that new song? Be like the cool kids, because I'm the cool kids. You know that song? That new song? Some of you know it. Scott Hosier sings it a lot to me. But there's a song that's called Cool Kids. And the whole song is about teenagers trying to find their identity that all the cool kids, I want to be like the cool kids. And so what they do is they run around and and even though God has gifted them and blessed them, that, that they'll do everything to be like the cool kids. You ever been to your 20th high school reunion? What happened to the cool kids? Whoa! Some of those cool kids aren't so cool anymore. But that's what the Israelites were doing. They're like, I want to be like the cool country. I want to be just like them. So in order for it to be like them, we need a king, and we need a castle, and we need one of those like ponds that go around it that are filled with alligators, and we need all these things like everyone else. And God was telling them, no. I made you special. I love when I tell my kids that. They're like, I hate when you say that. I made you unique. I set you apart. But the people of Israel bugged God so much. And they said, fine. He said, fine, I'll give you a king. I'm going to handpick him. I'm going to anoint him. I'm going to empower him. And I'm still going to do what I was already going to do no matter what, with or without the king. And so we saw this guy, Saul. He was big. Patrick Stanley, would you stand up? We'll call you Saul. He was taller than everyone else. Brandon, stand up. Patrick was taller than everyone else. (laughs) Head and shoulders. You may sit down. And God anointed him. Matter of fact, he took Saul from the smallest tribe of the Israelites. And Saul was thinking, why would it be me? I'm supposed to come from the big tribe, even though this dude was bigger than everyone else. God said, you are the one. I'm going to pick the one from the smallest tribe to show how powerful I am, even though he physically is bigger than everyone else. So we continue down in chapter 10, verse 6. So God, God, had, God had pointed out Saul and Samuel the prophet was supposed to anoint Saul. He was supposed to find Saul. He was supposed to lay his hands on Saul. He was supposed to prophesy over Saul. He was supposed to tell Saul his future. And so he did. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come, up, will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, Do what must be done, for God is with you. Chapter 10, verse 6. So Saul found, I'm sorry, Samuel found Saul. And he went up to him. And he laid his hands on him. And the power of God fell so strongly on Saul that it changed him into a different person. 
He started speaking about future things that were happening. He had this presence about him that even though he was 6'8 and huge and muscular and the whole deal, that, that even though he was intimidating by size, something was coming off him in his presence. That all of a sudden there was a parade that was going and when people saw Saul, they said there's something different about him. He's no longer the same. It's not his hairdo. It's not his shoes. It's not his clothes. It's not that he got a good night's sleep, but something fell on, on Saul that radically changed him. And Saul knew it. And as excited as Saul was, fear began to take control of God's future in his life. Let me show you. Look at this. It says here in verse 20, So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord. and The tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Matarites was chosen. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. He is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out. And he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. So in one moment, you see this guy who was prophesying. You see this guy whose presence is so strong. But all of a sudden, as he realized what had just happened, that God's presence was upon him. That God had something bigger for his life than this small little tribe of Benjamin. He wasn't going to be a farmer. He wasn't going to be a construction worker. He wasn't going to be any of these things that he thought that he was going to have to do. But instead, God said, I am going to exalt you and make you do more than you could ever dream or imagine. And when it finally clicked within him, he ran away from the people and he hid. He was terrified that what God had said would actually happen. You see, faith made him walk in the ability to receive the gift from God. But fear caused him to run away, to not live in that calling. Think with me. How many times have you had that moment of faith that you knew that God was up to something and that something awesome was going to happen? And that all you had to do is show up and be faithful and just walk the life that you knew that you were supposed to do. And something snapped. And you ran away. And you missed it. And you missed it. And then you look back and you think about all the regrets that you have now. Because you knew that one opportunity and if you had that one opportunity again, what would you do? You tell yourself that you would act and respond differently. I want to show you what fear had done in one man's life. You see, faith allowed him to step and receive God's gift. But fear caused him to run and squander it away. So the story of Saul is this. They find him amongst the baggage. And they take him out and they kind of confront him like, what are you doing? Dude, we, you're 6'8". We saw your head. 
Like you were right there. We couldn't miss you. It was impossible. And they're just thinking like it was kind of a momentary, momentary lapse of reason. And he's thinking like, oh, I just had this moment and, and it's really not who I am and I just got fearful and, and I'm just going to run away. And he kind of gathers himself and he composes himself and they, they make him the king. And for the most part, Saul just kind of continued to be who he was, missing the opportunity of, of truly knowing who, who God was in his life. They won some battles. They started setting up some territory. They started claiming some land. But all of a sudden, another enemy came into his life. And his name was Goliath. The biggest Philistine of all. So if let's just call, let's call Saul 6-8. Goliath was 9-8. He was basically what we would say is the biggest human being on the planet. And this one man named Goliath scared the whole Israelite army. This one guy scared thousands of people. It's kind of like when we look at terrorism. There's a small group of people that have the whole world in fear. It's like that one boss in the office, that one individual who's not either even a CEO, CFO, CCO, COO, whatever it is, but this one guy causes such fear that everyone is paralyzed. And so what Saul does is he sits on his throne and he doesn't respond to his enemy. And God brings in a different guy. His name's David, a tiny little guy. Short little guy. And David says, I'll fight him. I'll take him out. And Saul automatically falls in love with David. Because he knew that David had the strength and the confidence and the faith to just walk on the battlefield. Not even that he would win, but but he had the faith and confidence that at least there's one guy in this whole group of people that will at least try it. You ever been in that situation? Where's that one guy, it's like as much faith as you have in your circumstances, that one guy's at least willing to step out and try it, and so you'll go with it. And so all of a sudden, David goes out, and he not only goes for it, but he takes down the giant. And he not only hits him with a sling, one little stone goes in the sling, and the sling goes round and round, knocks him out. He takes the sword of Goliath. And he chops off his head. What a great picture. And he carries the head back to the king and says, here, that's manhood. That's manhood. Talk about being a man. That's being a man. And he gives him the head. And Saul has this, I got my faith back. But where was his faith lied? It wasn't lying in the hands of God. It was lying in the power of another human being. And so all of a sudden, Saul loved David and he loved him and he loved him and he loved him and and he had honor for David. Matter of fact, he loved David so much that he gave David his daughter to marry. He gave David his, his sword and his armor. He gave David riches. He gave David everything that, that he could to keep David happy, to honor David. But you know what fear does? 
Fear becomes a driving force in our life. And it derails all of our gifts, all of our intelligence, all of our talents. Fear takes all of our resources and it causes us to to hide them, to keep them to ourselves. And fear destroys all that God had intended to do in our lives. Fear causes us to make bad choices, make bad decisions. Fear causes us to not think clearly. Fear causes us to lose sleep. Fear causes us to either not eat or overeat. But the power of fear that can have in someone's life It's not just to derail us, but to destroy us. And so here you have it. You have this guy, Saul, that that he was so excited when when David came around. He was so happy because he felt that his fear had a little bit more of a, a tire pump, a little bit more air pumped into his life. That, okay, I can be king. Okay, I can be successful. Okay, I can do this. But what I need is I need to make sure that David's on my side. It had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with his ability to be successful. And fear started to deal with all of Saul's character flaws. This is crazy. This is really like a 10-week sermon series, but I'm kind of putting it in one. You see, what fear does is it strikes a chord in us and it takes our, 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 our greatest weaknesses and it illuminates it. It takes our, our, our greatest flaws and all of a sudden it kind of shines on it and it gets so bright that, that it starts manifesting as a personality. I mean, think about that. Think about in relationships, when you've been in relationships where you're thriving together and loving one another and all of a sudden something happens and fear comes in and all of a sudden that fear shines on your greatest concern and that greatest concern gets so large that it stops you from becoming not only the person you are but having the marriage you want being the parent you want i mean think about this about ebola fear has stricken our world people are terrified people are terrified to touch like door handles people are terrified to fly People are terrified to, to, to go to their neighbor's house. That one fear, that phobia, becomes so alive that it takes on the personality that manifests in our life. So Saul went from a man of faith to a guy who believed into other people. To all of a sudden, David started getting all of this fame and all this glory. And this is what they sang. Saul had killed thousands, but David, his ten thousands. Saul had killed thousands. I mean, that's a lot of people. But David had killed how many? Ten thousands. And all of a sudden, Saul starts freaking out. And everything that God had asked him to do, he decided not to be faithful. The first one was he was a people pleaser. He was so concerned with what everyone in the, in the land of Israel thought that he was more concerned with, with being obedient to God than listening to the people around him. He was so concerned that whatever God said that he was going to put it aside to make his 
leadership team happy. And so God said, go to the land of the Amalekites and kill them all. Take their land. Take their money. Take their gold. Make sure nothing survives because they have done damage to the world. And so Saul goes and he starts taking everyone out and and doing his, his role that God had told him. And all of a sudden, he saw the king and said, you know what? I bet you'd be okay if I brought the king back to show off that that I'm stronger than him. And then they show up to a tent where there's gold and, and, and rubies and, gold and, and diamonds and, and wealth and horses and chariots. And so he goes to the barn and says, you know what, let's, let's take all this back because this will be a good investment for us. But God said no. He said destroy everything. Melt the gold. Let nothing stand. But Saul was so consumed with proving himself to other people that he was disobedient. Think about that. How much of this fear of others drives who we are? And you see what happens is that fear of others, being a people pleaser, drives us to live in a place of jealousy. Because when people start getting ahead, when people start moving forward and, and we feel like we're stuck and we're doing everything that we're supposed to, but, but it's not happening the way that we should, so we start kind of maneuvering ourselves and, and kind of setting ourselves up for success, that all of a sudden, jealousy and pleasing those over us start taking on a personality and life of their own. You see, as he was trying to please everyone, he realized he could never please everyone. Saul realized that when he, when he brought the king back and the gold back and the riches back and the bigger horses and the bigger chariots, that, that it would never be enough. And when he saw that David had more success in battle, he started getting jealous of David. And so what he started to do was he started to manipulate. You see, honesty, Saul began his, his life and his kingship and honesty but he knew that as he started disobeying God with being a people pleaser that when he started seeing other people's success that he had to figure out how to be better than them he started manipulating him manipulating others for his own gain think about that Saul one time took David into his chambers into the 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 the, the courts and he was going to celebrate him. And as he was celebrating him, he had a little bit too much uh, cuckoo, a little too much to drink. And he got angry and he got bitter because again they started chanting, Saul did this, David's done this, Saul's done this, David's done this, Saul's done this, David's did this. And he took his spear and he chucked it at David in front of everyone to kill him. And this led to hatred. Saul was so consumed by fear. So consumed with having to be the best. So consumed with being the man. So consumed with being comfortable. With having security. With all these things that we thought are really good that he actually missed 
the point that his hatred was so much that he manipulated David to be thrown into battle, to be killed. But God was not going to let David to be killed because Saul did not step up to be the right king. And, David, and God said, David is the man who will not allow fear to drive him. David won't be wrapped up with pleasing others. David won't be wrapped up with his jealousy. David is, has been a, a young man who lived a life so much that he knew that God was always going to be in control of every little thing. And all of a sudden you see Saul just spiraling out of control to the point that he went to basically a fortune teller. You see, at some point, God had his hand so much on Saul that whatever Saul did touched the gold, turned to gold, kind of like King Midas. But the more that, that, that Saul was wrapped up in himself, in his fear, God said, I'm taking that anointing off you. I'm done. I'm going to give that same anointing to David. That Saul was so consumed, not with God's call, but with his success, that he went to a medium, a psychic, You know what the psychic said? I know who you are. And I'm not touching you. I know you are God's anointed and I want nothing to do with you because your punishment will become mine. And fear had caused him to live in this place that instead of allowing faith to shape his character, Fear destroyed it. Because so many people say, well, Saul was supposed to go through this so that we can have learning lessons. Yeah, I would like to be Saul, right? Don't you want to be one of those negative learning lessons? Yeah, thanks, Saul. I'm not going to stand near him. I don't want to be near Saul. And so many people look at the life of Saul and say, well, that was God's providence. God's sovereignty. Right? All these big spiritual words That to me, when I look at the life of Saul, I'm like, you know what? I would hate to be Saul then. If God created me to fail, God is a sick individual. Amen? Seriously. If God puts you together with your spouse for your marriage to fail, that is pretty sick. If God puts you together with someone or in a business for you to fail, I don't know if that's the right God that I want to serve. If God has done things in your life to teach you lessons... I got issues with that. Now, I realize that we live in a sinful world and things happen. And yes, we go through the course of, the li- of life. And yes, that God uses all things to shape us and to mold us. But to think that God throws evil on us or God throws fear on us or God throws shame on us or God sets up in relationships to cheat on our spouses that, that He wants that, That makes me want to swear. Some of you want me to right now, but I won't. Right? You just want me to drop it like it's hot. And I ain't going to do it. But there's a part of it that that's that tension. That we really think of God that way. We think of Him like, like He's this mean daddy. Saul threw away the blessing of God. Saul threw it away. God did not. 
Do you realize from chapter 10 through 15, God was setting Saul up for success the whole time. And all Saul allowed himself to do is allow fear to conquer him. God's sovereignty, when we use the word God's sovereignty, we think about God not showing up. That's what we think about. God's sovereignty, He's just going to let it happen. He's going to let your house burn down. He's just going to let your world fall apart. That's God's sovereignty. That's a lie. God's sovereignty is that He empowers us to experience all that He has and that He releases us to not live a life of fear, but to walk a life of faith. God's providence the same thing. It's not that, yes, difficulties come and trials come and failure happens, but all these things is that God is showing up that in certain failures, you are always successful. Do you know that? The hardest things in my life since I've been a husband or father and what the world would say, man, God has failed you. I would say that's a lie. Because He has strengthened me. My marriage, dude, we rock it. We have the most amazing marriage. We literally do. We work everything out. We are partners in crime. We, are, we, are, we do everything in life together. We walk through this life through every hard trial. Parenting. I love teenagers. I love the challenge of teenagers because I have the opportunity to step up in my mistakes and let Jesus shine through. You see, Saul allowed his fear to cause him human failure rather than allowing his faith to experience all the blessings that God has for him and for the people of Israel. Imagine... Imagine if I chose to run out today and throw it all away. Imagine if I chose right now to just forget about Sue and my children. Imagine if I let the fear of the future of, of just life and parenting and marriage and, and ministry, nonprofit work, and all the toils that come with all these things that, that most people will never know that you go through unless you're in my role. Imagine if I just said, you know what, forget it. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to meet someone new. Who does my failure affect? Sue, the kids, and all of you. Do you know that? Our fear drives us to failure that not only affects me and my family, but everyone else around me. And I truly believe that the enemy of the gospel that comes from Satan is fear. That fear drives us to this place that we're unwilling to trust God with everything. I think about every decision my wife and I have made, and I love my wife. I love having someone that, yes, in our fear, she's willing to step out in faith. That every single career move we've ever made was never based on our finances. I love that every decision, and yes, we've struggled. We, we are paying off debt right now. We are still paying off debt because of faith decisions that we've made. I love that no matter what we decide to do, whether it be with our finances, with giving, trusting that everything that I have is God's. Everything I have is God's. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a human being. 
Everything. When I teach, when I counsel, when I do all these things, when I do conferences, and anything comes in, I know, God, you gave it to me first. It's yours. I know with my children that as much as I want my kids to go to the greatest colleges in the U.S., Lehigh, James Madison, all these schools that I want my kids to, to apply to, that my fear is not going to compel them with having to be the greatest student, but I'm more concerned about their faith to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so even last night when one of them didn't want to go to youth group and they fought us, I said, you know what? I'm not going to, let them, I'm not going to please them. They're going. They're going to go and they're going to have fun and they came home and had a blast last night. I'm not going to let the fear of others or the fear of my finances or the fear of my future to determine what God won't do. And I want to tell you this this morning. Faith derails us. And I want to challenge you today. Not faith, fear. Thank you. Fear. Thank you. Thank you, Charlene. She's like, thank you. Fear derails us. But faith propels us. Fear derails God's plan in your life. But faith causes it to come to life. Every wedding I do, I sit down and say, divorce isn't in the dictionary. We're not talking about it. Death do your part. And right there, you know what that does to every single couple that I meet with? Causes them to step in. And they kind of look at each other and the girl has a cute little smile like, do you believe that? The guy's like, oh yeah. (laughs) Faith propels us. You will truly never know the goodness of God until you allow faith to drive you as you deal with your fears. I still have a lot of fears, but I allow my faith to deal with them. I struggle like Saul with being a people pleaser. Don't we all? I struggle with jealousy. Don't we all? I struggle with at times wanting to manipulate and I catch myself because I hate manipulation. But it's still there that wants me to jump in. Hatred. I still struggle with hatred. And Jesus says, if you, if you think you hate someone, you murder them in your heart. You see, just like Saul, we're just like him. But the difference is, are we going to allow fear to derail us or faith to propel us? You see, gospel fluency is not not having fear. It's allowing faith to defeat your fear. I had so much fear growing up. I really did. That's why it's easy for me to talk about this. I could easily be like a Saul. And when I became a Christian, I really had that faith moment where I just felt like this presence came over me and I didn't care anymore. And in my journey, the caring has kind of popped up a little bit and God has had to wrestle. But we were in staff meeting at the end of the summer and we were talking about being on vacation and I remember that sometimes when you're swimming in the ocean and it's shark week and you're at the beach... You're kind of afraid to swim in the ocean. And I can be honest with you that there's times that I look at that ocean and say, I don't want to swim. 
Because Jaws is in there. But there's something else in me that says, you know what? I want to go find Jaws. And so literally, I kind of crack up because my kids are like, you're going too deep. Because in my head, I think there's a shark out there and I want to make sure he's not. And I swim deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And a lifeguard's like, there's a shark. No. But I would rather attack fear and all the things that want to consume me than run away and miss God's blessing. That's what the plant is. We are a church that is founded on the faith of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this morning that if you have fear, it's okay. All God wants you to do is address it and hand it over. Because there's not 12 steps with dealing with fear. It's addressing it. It's giving it to God. And then walking into those fears. Does that make sense? Not giving you 12 steps. Gospel fluency Knowing and understanding and applying the gospel is our willingness to allow our faith to propel us into confronting all of our fears. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're going to go to the Lord's table. And here's what I want you to do. As you come to the Lord's table, think about just these four fears unless something else popped up. People-pleasing, jealousy, Manipulation or hatred? Which one struck a chord? And I want you to come forward. I'm going to ask Scott Hosier if you could grab the table over here. And as you come forward, we're just going to say, and may the faith of Jesus Christ take away your fear. Okay, Scott, you got that? Okay. And may the faith of Jesus Christ take away your fear. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to your table and we ask you that we would deal with our fears and that our faith would propel us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.